This episode is brought to you by our friends at Milwaukee Tools. Outdoor power equipment gives you the power to clear, cut, and maintain the outdoors without the petrol headaches. No pull starts, no engine maintenance, no mixing petrol and oil. Book a test drive now at milwaukeetools.com.au. Milwaukee, nothing but heavy duty. This episode is also brought to you by our friends at Rick's. Rick's is an Australian lifestyle brand founded with a mission to transform the eyewear industry by creating carefully crafted eyewear that inspires confidence. Everybody should be able to enjoy a touch of luxury and the confidence it brings. See the world differently today. Head online now at rickseyewear.com.au and check it out. Righto, let's get into the show. First jockey on the potty, we've been trying to get Regan Bayless, like I was saying. Um, you are one of my favourites. I know Re- Regan's more of an up-and-comer, but when I'm having a, when I'm having a pun on the weekend, I, I do struggle naturally, so I just look for you um, and, and James McDonald generally. But look, I'm really interested in the life of a jockey. I've met a couple, more retired than uh, current. Yeah. Um, but it looks hard. It looks People don't realise how hard it really is. I'm really interested as a former professional athlete myself, um, I'm more the opposite. I've always tried to put on muscle and weight and struggle, but I couldn't imagine just stripping weight and then uh, exhausting yourself day in, day out. So before we get into the nuts and bolts of being a jockey, talk to me about you know where you grew up and, and where the, I guess, inspiration come um, as a young fella to want to be a you know, world-class jockey. Yeah, I was, well, I was born and raised at Warwick Farm uh, on, the, on the racetrack there. And um, I, my father was a trainer and, and my mother um, used to, used to work for him as well so he was a jockey before being a trainer uh he, he got too heavy in the end so started training so we sort of grew up in in that sort of life and 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 grew up with horses and stuff like that and um i guess at a young age i didn't really know if i wanted to be um a, a jockey at all it was more i just wanted to be part of the sport i i, I love the animal and i guess i fell in love with with um the horses before um figuring out that you could make a a good earn out of being a jockey and and going fast, so um, it all sort of roll into one another. You can make a good earn. We're going to get to this stuff later, but while you're on it, where's the point where you do get a good earn? Because there's a lot of hard yards, you know, in the country meets. I would have thought, but then the good earn comes with the city meets. What what age do generally people start making a good quid? Oh, look, at an apprentice, um, when you sort of get into your second year of your apprenticeship and you start riding in the city quite often, um, I guess it's the only one of the only professions where the apprentices get paid the exact same amount as a senior rider um, to, to ride a horse and you get the exact same prize money. So it's not like you're on an apprentice wage or anything like that. Uh, they do keep uh, all of your money in a, in a, um, in a trust uh, until you uh, finish your four-year apprenticeship or you turn 18. Um, and, and then they, they allow you to take it out. And even if you take money out before that time, it's only you've got to prove that you're buying a house with it or buying a car or putting it into some sort of use because obviously if you're you know, a, an apprentice jockey, um, you know, in the second year of their apprenticeship could be you know, earning 250000 and for, for a 17-year-old kid earning 250000 a year, um, it, it, can, it can be pretty dangerous. So, um, you know, they've got a pretty good handle on it now and, uh, you know, and then once you get to the end of your apprenticeship and you, you start being a senior, that's sort of when, when the good money starts. That's great. So apprenticeship, four, how long? Two years, four years? Uh, four years, Four yeah. years, so like a tradie almost. Yeah, exactly the same. Yeah. That's great. And who looks after all their cash, like you said? What is there like a... The, Who's the just the racing fun New South Wales? Oh, racing so, New South Wales. Peter Blaney's. Uh, yep. that's probably why we've got so many big big prize money races. You might be using a bit of their cash, <laughs> yeah. but um, 
No, you got the right man looking after the oh, that's after great. money there. Growing up, like when was your, you know, as a jockey, you said you're around horses, Warwick Farm. Uh, what is it about the animal that you love so much? Uh, I, I guess, as we said, like falling in love with it. The reason why I fell in love with horses is just how gentle they are. Um, I remember Nathan and myself, um, when we were just five years old, going to going to preschool, we used to um, go to the stables in the morning and um, Paul Cave used to have this massive big Clydesdale and we used to go and eat, eat our breakfast underneath his belly and um, he just wouldn't move a muscle, you know. And um, you, you've seen, like over the years, with Sub-Zero um, going to hospitals, going inside of hospitals and um, seeing sick kids and, 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 and sick, sick people that are going through cancer and stuff like that. They're just... Um, and putting smiles on people's faces, you know, they're just, um, they're beautiful animals and and then, you know, what they can do on a racetrack, you know, you talk about us being athletes, well, you know, horses are just, they're on another level and, um, and yeah, it's, I guess, finding a, a, a good one and a fast one, um, that's, that's the beauty of it, trying to find your next good one. It is. What is it about the horse that makes them so quick? You know, they talk about, you know, when you go in the mounting yard and I've always got a few match G's that looks well in the yard, what looks well? Like where where should we be looking for, a, say, a sprinter or a long distance runner? What, where should we be looking at these horses? Well, I guess um, Lizzie Jolf's very good at picking one in the yard, and and she always talks about their walk and, and how they stride out. And um, the reason why Black Caviar was so good and Winx was so good is their stride was uh, much uh, uh, greater than than a normal horse's stride. So obviously, um, it'd be like you and I having a race together, where your your legs are a bit longer long than mine. So. Um, you'd cover a lot more ground. So I'd say a, a horse that's got a good walk in the paddock um, is always good. And, um, you know, and, and their coat, if their coat's good, means they're healthy and they're feeling well. If it's a bit rough, then, you know, they're, they're not 100%. What's healthy. rough, man? Like you just can't see the muscles popping out? Yeah, well, even in their, in their furs, it, it's sort of, they're, they're a bit woolly in the coat and stuff like that. But when their coat's good, they, they've got a real shine and a real glow to it. So um, if you can see like they're glowing in the coat in the yard, well, it usually means they're fitting well and ready to go. Yeah. And just on, uh, we're going to go back to you. I keep getting excited here. You know, <laughs> I love horses first up, especially the sprinters. But like you said, um, do some of these horses generally just go to the paddock and, and first up means first up or are they getting worked hard uh, at track work before they come back? Yeah, well, it's, it, it, they get a good foundation. It's usually, um, you know, six to seven weeks before they, they have a trial um, in, in whether it's pre-training or, or track work. And, I think that comes down to the trainer, you know, like um, Gay Waterhouse, she has them up and ready to go. And, you know, when they go into the races first up, they've had two good solid trials and, and they're there to win. Um, where Chris Waller, he usually gives them a couple of easy trials. It usually takes them one or two starts to sort of hit their straps. So um, Joe Pride's another one. He's, he's very good with them fresh. So is Gerald Ryan. Um, so I, I guess it's got a lot to do with the trainer and the, the way they train. And, and some trainers are able to get, you know, six or seven starts out of a horse in a preparation and some are only able to get four and that comes back to their training and, and how hard they they are on them at home it's incredible back to when you were growing up at what point did you jump on the back of a horse how old were you um oh as early as i could remember probably yeah five or six years old um my old man used to chuck me on a couple in the box and um he, he'd go for a walk around and come back and and we'd yell out to them when we wanted to get off it. So <laughs> they were just racehorses sitting in a box and um, no head collar, nothing. And um, you think about it now, I'd never do that to my kids. <laughs> but what, uh, what, what, what dad used to do to us, it, um, it was good. It, it, it meant we had no fear. Yeah, it is good. Have you had any encounters as a kid that you still remember where you, you might've got bucked <laughs> off or they kicked you or something like yeah, that? Yeah, no, there was a, there was a few. We, um, 
when I was about 13 years of age, Nathan and I used to, um, we used to go to Paul Cave and my father to the, the sales out at Camden. Um, and we used to buy these unbroken in ponies and you'd pay, you know, $150, $200 for them and you'd break them in and then sell them, you know, four weeks later for a few thousand. So we made a good little earn out of doing that. But um, there was this one um, horse was a painted pony. So it, it was uh, white and, and what was it, white and brown or white and black. And it bolted flat straight down, down, the, um, down the asphalt with me one day. And so you're going 60 kilometres and I was skating, there were sparks coming out of its shoes. It was... Uh, Ended up wrapping itself around a tree. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so um, that was probably one of the scarier moments I had growing up when, when I was still learning how to ride. Oh, I can imagine. They go quick, don't they? I can only imagine if that's a pony. Imagine the big boys going straight at it. What was your, uh, let's get into it. What was your first ride? You'd remember it like it's yesterday, I'd imagine. What was the process of it though? Like when did you, you know, there's, it's, I'm, I'm only converting from football, but you've obviously played footy all your life. Um, you know, I don't really remember my first game because we're so young. Um, but when was your first professional ride and what meet was it and how'd you go? Um, it went terribly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, it was at Hawkesbury and I, my brother was a lot more advanced. He was, he was a, a real natural when it come to riding where myself, I, um, I was a natural horseman, you could say, but when it come into being tactical and, and, and just having the knack of being a jockey, they're, they're two different things, being a horseman and being a jockey. So, um, my brother picked up on that quite quickly. And um, so he was getting off on race rides um, well before I was, but because we were twins, my, my father said, well, you're not having your first race ride till you both have your first race ride on the same day. He said, I want you to start on the same day and then whatever happens after that happens. And Nathan, he was getting frustrated because it, it took three, three weeks for me to even get an offer. And um, we ended up going to Hawkesbury for our first, first day. And we had one ride each. Mine missed the kick by about four lengths and finished last. And, <laughs> He's missed a kick by five lengths and finished last. So um, it was a tough day and I remember leaving the track all deflated and, and my, my father said to me, he goes, well, boys, he goes, there's one upside. I said, what's that? He goes, well, you can only get better. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a tough school. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah, it's funny. The first is always uh, never as smooth as everyone thinks. When did you start... Um, when did you start feeling like you belong? Like how many rides does it take you reckon for, a, I mean, seeing who you are now and you know, how, how well you go, it clearly that's the, you know, that's the start and that's the lowest of lows. Like how many rides does it take to actually start feeling experience and, and start, you know, as you said, becoming a bit smarter yeah. um, with your strategy and all that? Yeah, it took me, like I said, I wasn't a natural, so it took me a while. Uh, I'd say, and I always go back to comparing myself with my brother, but I reckon Nathan picked it up within seven months um, and he, he was off and going and he was getting opportunities in, in town quite early. Um, I stayed back at the Provincials riding on a Saturday there for I reckon another 12 months um, after my brother, like he, he went to town quite early. Um, and I, I guess you you talk about feeling like you're, you're sort of getting a handle on it. I, I guess for me, it took probably to the second year, maybe even going into the third year of my apprenticeship where I could walk into the jockey's room and, and felt like I, I belong, belong there, especially in the city, the city jockey's room, because uh, growing up, I was riding, you're riding against Darren B when, when he was coming to the end of his career and uh, Corey Brown and uh, Jim Cassidy and all these big names, Glenn Boss, um, that were my idols growing up and guys that I used to, you know, I, I was still at school uh, in primary school watching him ride and and dreamt of riding against him. So it was quite daunting um, walking into a room as, as you would have done in football and playing against people that you, you or, or riding against people that you idolised. And 
bit different to you, I guess, as playing in a team. These are guys that I had to go out and compete against. So, um, yeah, I'd say probably in my third year apprenticeship, I, I started going, well, you know, I've earned my, my spot here and, and I'm comfortable sort of in my own skin and, and being a part of that, that room. What is it that, like, you know, why was it that your brother was more advanced? Like, what was it, you know, you're saying he's a natural and I to, you know, work on my craft. Break that down for someone that doesn't understand what that means. Well, I think it's like anything, um, you know, and, and I guess growing up, everyone said, you, if you want to do something, you've got to work hard at it. And the harder you work at it, the more time you spend on it, the better you'll get. And, and I always used to think, well, you've either got it or you haven't. <laughs> and, and to a certain extent, that is, that is true. But also, that there are people that, that, have, that have got it, but it just takes them a little bit longer to, to, to pick it up. And, and, and I guess for me, I... I had to work a lot harder to, to be where my brother was. So in a sense, um, it took me a lot longer to get to where he was. But then once I got there, because I'd worked so hard at it and it taught me to, you know, work ethic and, and stuff like that and perfection and, and which is everything I'm about now. Um, so I'm glad it took me a lot longer and I'm glad that I wasn't a natural because, um, you know, working hard for something and getting the satisfaction at the end is, is quite good. And I guess I've seen a lot of young kids growing up that just had it and they were such naturals and because they were that good and everything comes so easy to them, they, they didn't, you know, they, they're not even writing now. You know, they, they made mistakes through life, whether it was drugs or stuff like that, and it got away from them and everything just came too easy where when you've got to work really hard at it, you know how hard you've worked at it. So you really appreciate, you know, everything that comes with it. Yeah, spot on. What is it? What's a perfect? What's a perfect ride? Or what is the perfection of being a jockey for those that aren't familiar? Um, I, I think um, you know, like if you're three pairs back, four pairs back the fence, and you can weave the passage through and, and get there on the line, that's you, you hit the line and you go, yeah, that was a good ride. You yeah. know, it's it's easy to sit back and loop the field and come down the outside. Um, like I remember the days riding Shitak where everyone used to say how hard a ride he was. Well, <laughs> it was the easiest ride of all time. You just go back to last and get to the outside and, and let him rip. But the, the, the rides that are, I think, the hardest and that give me the most satisfaction are the horses that you know, might only have a 200-metre sprint. So timing's everything, knowing when to go on them and getting there on the line. So, um, yeah, I think they're the best ones. That's great. Chautauqua, let's go, let's go there. What happened? Like, what was it at the end? Everyone loves Chautauqua. And when it wouldn't come out of the barrier, like, have you seen anything like it? No, I guess... The only one that was similar was Pakistan Star um, in, in Hong Kong, and he's the one that used to pull up mid-race. Um, so he was he was the best horse over in Hong Kong at the time. Um, he'd won, I think, five Grip Ones over there, and I, I won a Grip One while I was over there in Hong Kong on him. But he'd go two or three furlongs, and he'd just pull up halfway and just stop, and just the, <laughs> the rest of the field would go, and, and he'd just look around. So um, I think he did that three or four times, and um, Shitaka was very much like him as... Um, what made him so good was what probably worked against him at the end. He was, he was a very ignorant horse. He liked to do everything um, on, on his own. He, he hated being fussed over. And, um, and when he made his mind up, it, that's what he wanted to do. That's what he did. And um, so what made him so brilliant is him being a racehorse and you know, seeing how exciting he was, being at the back of the field by himself, didn't want to be a part of it, and then flashing home. Well, the day he got scratched at Mooney Valley, and I think because he put so much into his races, um, he'd pull up the next day like you put doing a footy game and playing your best game. You pull up, you you buggered for two or three days after, and he was a little bit the same. And then he got scratched at Mooney Valley one day. He got taken back to his box. He hadn't raced. He still got fed the next day. He still got brushed. He felt great. So 
him being a smart, I was felt, you know what, I don't have to do this. Yeah. I don't have to bust my balls. I'm still going to get fed. I'm still going to get looked after. And yeah, I think, yeah, that was the end of it, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah, well, he's a smart, he's a smart man. <laughs> Too smart for us. I know. <laughs> What, what's what's it like pressing the button on a horse like Shitako? Like you said, like as a as a punter, there's nothing better than watching him just swoop the field, but it's very rare. But when you see a horse like that that just can turn it on, and I mean, what speed are they getting up when they're doing that? Oh, they're getting up to about seventy k's. Yeah, flying. So, it yeah, must be. It must be no better feeling as a jockey being on a horse like that with a crowd cheering you on. It must be special. Yeah, it is. And I guess also it's having a field of horses around you, you know. So, um, you know, we're racing very tight. We race very tight here in Australia. But he's um, – I always find the best horses I've ever ridden, um, especially him, even though everything's happening fast and he's got such a quick finish on him, it felt like riding him, everything was happening in slow motion. Um, so, you know, I, I remember his third TJ Smith, which no one will ever forget – um, he spotted him still, I think, five lengths at the at the hundred meters and, and ran him down to win. And um, I, I, it felt like time was standing still when I rode him that day. So um, yeah, you know, the, it's um, the fast, the ones that you feel like you're going real fast on are usually the ones that aren't that, that quick sometimes. Yeah, spot on. Well said. What about the uh, the races? You know, like an endurance race versus a sprint. What do you prefer to be on? Like, what's more exciting? I love staying races because it's it's more it's all about tactics in staying races, um, you know, getting your horse to switch off, getting it into a nice rhythm, getting it to breathe well, um, taking off at the right time. Um, really good tactical jockeys are, are great staying riders, and we've seen that with Kieran McAvoy. Um, he's he's brilliant. He's won what three Melbourne Cups. Um, Glenn Boss, um, you know, some of the best we've seen. Jim Cassidy, they were. They are all tactically brilliant when it comes to um, you know their timing and stuff like that. Where you know you can a lot of people can jump out in a thousand meter race and and press the button and go fast and you know wish for, hope for a bit of luck. But it's them staying events where you've you've got to get the timing right and and have you know everything go right in that twenty four hundred meters for you. Yeah. When you race, do you have a lot of, uh, do the trainers really feed you what they want you to do? But being an experienced jockey, you you know having your own tactics. At what point do you go, fuck it, I'm going to make a move because the race isn't going as well as we thought it would. It's a bit slower, it's a bit quick. Yep. And then that, dis that discussion after the race, is it quite awkward <laughs> if you go against their plan? Oh, not really. I, it, it is when you're younger, I guess, and you're a bit more inexperienced. But I guess I'm at a point in my career now that you know, they put you on to make decisions in races. And um, once again, you know, any jockey can go out and just follow the field around, but it's the, the ones that make decisions and the ones that – you know, ride the race instead of, you know, having so much of a plan going out, but riding what's happening. And as you said, if the speed's slow, having the confidence to say, well, the speed's long, it'll get going early. Or um, if the speed's fast, to let the speed go and stuff like that. Um, you know, they put you on because they, they think you're capable of making those those decisions. And it would be very rare now that I'll get instructions on, on how they want me to ride. Um, they usually give me an idea of where they want it in the run. Um, and maybe give me a little bit of background on the horse if I hadn't ridden it in track work or something. But usually they ask me for my thoughts. Um, I'll, I'll give them my sort of rundown of what I think will happen and, and that they let me know if, if they want anything changed. So, um, but yeah, this, you know, I've, I've caught plenty of sprays over the years, not so much anymore, but um, when I was younger growing up and um, yeah, there's, there's some pearlers that I, I copped. What's one of that, that's a question that was gonna come later from the aces, but I might as well ask it now. What is one of the biggest sprays that you remember growing up um, well, it wasn't even growing up. It was one of my rides on Chautauqua. Um, 
it was the all-age stakes. He was beaten by Lara Main, and um, I'd actually won a, a Group One on the same day um, on a horse called Inference. I won the Guineas for for Hawksy. I think I might have had another two winners for him on the day. And obviously, John Hawks never comes to the races; only his son does, Michael. So you've always got to give him a call on the way to the races and then give him a call on the way home. And he got beat a nose, and I remember calling him on the way home, and I said, "Oh, that was a good day." And he started going off his head, and. And we, I think we were on the phone for about 20 minutes and it was all about Chautauqua getting beat. And he, he gave me a one out of 10 for the ride. And he said, you only get a one because you stayed on and you didn't fall off. And, <laughs> um, and then um, I said, oh, but what about the group one winner that we had? He goes, I don't give a fuck about the group one winner we had. I'm talking about this one. <laughs> so we didn't even, I don't even think we spoke about the group one. So um, yeah, it was probably one of the biggest I've copped. Oh, that's brutal. What does he just, does he, that's good intel. He just sits at home and watches them on the TV. Yeah, he always has, even when he was, um, that he was training for um, the Inghams and they had, I'm pretty sure, like around 200 horses. So that's what Godolphin is now. Um, he used to be their trainer and um, I remember Peter Snowden was his foreman or assistant trainer and Peter used to go to the races and he used to sit at home and watch all the races and I guess you can rewind, watch it again and stuff like that. So. By the time you call him on the way home, he's watched the replay 10 times <laughs> yeah. and he's he's had it all chewing up in his head. And, um, you know, if you've ridden one really bad, sometimes I'll just leave it a day or two and yeah. call him when he's, when he's Sorry, mate, bones <laughs> yeah, Exactly. So, oh, I can only imagine, especially when you, yeah. What's the go with trainers? Are they allowed to have a bet on their own horses? Yeah, yeah, trainers are. Um, Jockeys can't? No, we can't bet at all. Uh, we can bet on trots and dogs, but um, so so trainers can bet on their own horses, but jockeys can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. So it's interesting. Which yeah, it is interesting. I, I know in New Zealand, um, you're allowed to bet on your own horse, um, which you know, I, I guess it wouldn't be too many people out there that if if they knew a jockey was having a, a punt on a horse that they're riding, you wouldn't be too disappointed, would you? But, nah. Uh, unfortunately, that's the rules of racing. I think betting on another horse makes it a bit sus, but yeah, obviously does, yeah. on your own horse, it's 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 so fine. Just on track work. Give people an insight of how hard it is and how early you're getting up and, and what time you're getting home. Because it's, speaking of Reggie, our great mate, Reggie yeah. Bayless, you know, I miss a lot of his calls and we played phone tag because he's up that early and goes to bed pretty <laughs> early as well, um, sometimes late. But yeah, you, you just never know what he's doing because it's such a, you know, crazy, crazy week. Give us, an, you know, a little bit of an insight to what your week looks like and how early uh, track work is. Yeah, well, track work for me, I'd, every jockey's different. Some do two days a week. I like to do four um, and it usually starts at four o'clock in the morning. So you're getting up sort of around three o'clock um, and then you're getting to track work at four, leaving by about seven, seven thirty, getting home at eight thirty. Um, usually I'll go for an hour nap and then get up, sweat for an hour, an hour and a half usually lose between one and two kilos and then go to the races for the day. So oh, right. um, you're getting home at seven o'clock. But I guess the hardest part about, I guess, you talk about sportsmen and, and, and being at their, you know, their, their absolute best uh, when they go to the races. Like we're, we're lo- usually from the night before losing two to three kilos from the night before to the morning of. Um, and then you have your, you don't get to eat or drink really. Um, till, till after your last ride, so you, you get a sip on a drink here and there. But some jockeys have even got weight to lose during the during the day, so it can be a tough long slog. And and we're we're performing at our, our ultimate best, um, pretty much when when you're dehydrated and and have no food in your stomach. So um, that's something obviously you, you start doing when you're young. You know, we, I started riding at 15, and I've been riding 16 years now, so it's it's second nature to me. Um, I don't even get hungry anymore. I just get thirsty. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a, I guess like any job, there's the ups and downs, track work and wasting and and um, and and dieting so hard. It's a downfall for us. But 
riding good horses and having the success we do and, and as you said, providing a, a good life for my family with the, the money we earn is, is, is the upside. That's the sacrifices, isn't it? With track work, what are you doing? Uh, like what kind of, so I always try, because Hayden Ballantyne, who I used to play footy with, he's now a trainer. Yeah. Um, and I've always thought, well, I wonder if he does any similar programs with the horses that we used to do, you know, your fartlek or your, you know, whatever, certain yeah. certain kind of programs. But what, what kind of, without giving away too much intel of what you're doing, but what is track work for the horses? Uh, for a horse coming back first up, let's say it's a stayer, what kind of, you know, programs are they doing on the track? How so, many Ks would they be doing? Well, if they're, if they're say, they're racing... Um, well, he's a perfect example, I guess, for um, Shizik. Um, yeah, she's Extreme, who's, who's running uh, in the Oaks on, on the weekend. Favourite, mind you, so yeah, a bit of pressure. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So her, her week leading up, um, she'll, she would have gone a gallop on the Saturday, which would be working over a mile, um, so 1,600 metres, uh, running up two furlongs, which means clicking them up. And so you, you, your evens is 15s, so 15 seconds every furlong, which is yep. 200 metres. So they'll do 15 seconds for every furlong for, um, what is that, 1,200 metres. So 15 consecutively? Yeah, so 15, 15, six 15. Of so we've got to count that. Yep. So we've got a furlong markers. So you're going to get bang on 15 in between every furlong. And that's for 1,200 metres. And if, like, there's, like, Hawks, if you're half a second out, he blows yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, So it's a real art to getting your times right and, and knowing how fast your horse is going in between that furlong. Um, and then once you get to the 400 meters, you give them a click up and you might run a 13 and a 12. So they might say, go six and two and run your last two and 25, you know, so you do a 13 and 12 and that just lets the horse sort of go through its gears and, and quickens up to the line. So she'll do that on Saturday, do that again on Tuesday. Uh, the, the day in between, she might just have a canner, which is a, a really steady lap around the track. Might have a swim around the pool after that. Um, and then fast morning again, gallop, slow morning, canter again, gallop, and then slow morning, and then off to the races on Saturday. And the races is just where they explode. So they pull up a bit sore like anyone after a big race? Oh, some of them come out of it great. Some of them come out a bit stiff and sore. The older horses, obviously, they, they're like us. You know, we don't roll out of bed the same <laughs> nah. as we used to. I know I definitely don't. So, um, yeah, and horses are the same. The young ones, they... You know, like you, when you, you first start playing footy, you just bounce out of it and you want to go again. Uh, you feel like you can play three games in, you know, in three days or maybe have another 10 rides tomorrow. But uh, as, as you get older and that, you, you look forward to having maybe even the, the week off and not playing for two weeks. And I'm the same. I, three days a week for me riding now is, is probably as much as I want to do. Do you get home from, um, do you get home, you know, so what's your day off, Sunday? Uh, Sunday, Monday is usually. So Sunday, Monday. So from Tuesday to Saturday, it's just go, go, go. And having, you know, four kids, it's, you get home, it wouldn't be quiet. It'd be like, you know, <laughs> you're a great father, I can tell. So, you know, you must be, you're probably used to it now, but you must be knackered by Sunday. Yeah, you are. Like it's, um, and Saturday nights usually like to go out and have a feed and a few drinks with the family or even with a few mates because the week's been so hard, you just want to let down and enjoy yourself. So by the time you get to Sunday, it's, you know, but then Sunday's family day, so you've got the kids all day, and I, I really enjoy that. You know, like it's it's one day where I, I I really don't ride at all, even if there's race meetings on, I I make sure I don't. And um, the kids are at a great age now. I think they're seven, five, four, and three, so um, they're at a good age. And we've got five acres where we are at home with a pony and a couple of donkeys, so um, <laughs> we we don't have to go too far if we don't want to. We can just hang around there or. Um, or we, we sometimes even just go for three days away just down to a caravan park. So, um, yeah, it's, it is exhausting sometimes, but 
for me, you know, with, with how busy we are with with racing and track work and trials and stuff, it's it's actually looking after kids and and doing that for one day is a bit of a breeze. Oh, um, I can imagine. I, I don't. I think Sean. I don't know how she does it. She does it every no. day, and she says she's it's a superstar. Hard. She says it's hard. I think it's pretty easy. But, uh. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tommy, when you're sweating before a race, or you know, just trying to drop some weight, give people an insight on you know what you're doing and and. And how many kilos can you drop from just saunas and all that? What do you like? I just find it fascinating how you guys drop so much weight so quickly. Yeah, no, it's well, every jockey is different. Um, but like some jockeys sweat in saunas, I, I, I sweat in a bath. I, I'd rather do that. So, what I'll do is um, I've got a, a massive heater that's in the bathroom, heat lamps, and I'll turn that on probably in, in, in a small little bathroom uh, with a bath, and I'll turn that on an hour before I get in. And then I fill up the bath, which is it's you know, usually sits around close to 40 degrees, so it's quite hot, um, and jump in that. And I'll lose a kilo in 35 minutes in there, just sweating out hard. Um, so I usually do a kilo and a half night before the races and then a kilo and a half the morning of. Um, some jockeys do two to two to two and a half kilos the morning of. So, wow. um, but when you're, when you're fit and, and, you, you, and you're going well and everything's, you know, you're in full, full season, like um, you know, autumn or spring, so you're at your peak of, you know the, the year and um you sweat really good and you feel good after it but it's like say you're coming back from two three weeks off and it, it's like taking blood out of a stone and it just you're not fit so you don't go to the races feeling 100 percent. so the the key to it's not so much about losing two or three kilos in a day uh it's so much about having yourself fit so when you are losing it you're still feeling good once you've once you've taken it off is there much exercise as well or you just say that for riding you just sweat in saunas and, yeah. and baths and that no during the week so if, if i don't um if like track works really good obviously um because you, you using the exact same muscles that you're obviously going to use on race day um i know um james mcdonald and hugh bowman um they work with trent langland um down there at i think it might be Coogee or bondi and um, he does a lot of uh, core strength stuff. Um, so I, I, I work a lot on core strength, do a lot of walking for me. If I'm not riding, I, I usually go for a walk with sweat gear on and because and, if I run too much, my legs get quite big. So it's all about keeping your muscles slim and, and, um, and trying to stay as small as you can. Do, do you think when you, what age do you feel like you'll finish up? Like, is it, you got another 20 years in yet, you reckon? Oh, I, I think 45 would, you know, I'd. I want to get to a point, uh, it's sort of a balance with everything with me. I want to get to a point, 45, I feel like it's at a good age where um, I hopefully would have achieved what I want to achieve by then and my kids will be at an age where I'll sort of want to, because racing's so full on and it does run your life a lot, It's it's a, you don't get to, you do miss a, a lot of your kids' sport, like races are on a Saturday, your kids play sport on a Saturday. So I guess at the age of 45, I I feel like I'd be at a point in my career where, you know, hopefully I've accomplished what I want to accomplish. I can concentrate more on my family and my kids and watch them grow up. And I guess for me, racing will probably retire me instead of me retiring from racing. And that's just through opportunities. And um, I want to be at the top of my game and where I am now. And if I can't perform to, to what I'm doing now or I'm not getting the opportunities I'm getting now, I, I, I don't know if I could go back to you know, anything less than, than what I am. And, and that's just, I know it sounds probably a little bit, um, yeah, I don't know how to, how to put it, but I guess I want to be at the top. And if I'm not there, then I don't really want to do it anymore. Well, you've worked your ass off to get there. There's no point, you know, stopping until you've run out of steam. So yeah. I like that. What is the oldest, like, who's the oldest? Is Larry, Larry Cassidy would be one of the oldest, wouldn't he? Who's the oldest? Yeah, I was speaking to Frankie Dettori on, um, 
um, the weekend and he told me he's 52. So he looks good. He's still riding Grit One winners. I think Frankie's ridden almost 250 Grit One winners, So, which is incredible. Um, when you talk about Hugh Bowman, he's ridden 102, I think. So for Frankie to ride 250 at the age of 53, um, I think uh, Ollie's around the same age. Um, Glenn Boss has only been retired a year. I think he was 52. Um, Jim Cassidy was around 50. So yeah, I think 50 sort of pulls, pulls most yeah. of them up. And especially with the younger talent coming through now, you know, you know what it's like with racing. Everyone, everyone wants a new kid on the block. So yeah. um, you're getting a bit older, you know, it's, it's, it does get a bit harder for you. Who is the young kid on the block that we should all keep our eyes out for that uh, we might not know enough about at the moment? Uh, well, I think that the kids that have come through now, you're starting to hear a bit about them. Um, I think, you know, Dylan Gibbons, he's going really good. Um, he's he's going to be a star of the future. Um, and then there's there's plenty of kids down 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 south that are going quite well now. Um, Jackson Sewell's starting to get a bit of a, a roll on. Um, Tommy Sherry, he's um, he's just come out of his time, but he, he's a jockey. He's, he's sort of, when you first come out of your time and you're with the big boys, you haven't got a claim or anything, it's really tough to get going. And obviously the jockey's room's so strong in Sydney, but I think Tommy Sherry's going to be a, a a kid in in the next sort of few years that will really I've backed him on. a few times and it's not Tommy Berry it's Tommy <laughs> Sherry who's been Tommy Sheridan I've always go wow that's an I'll take him. <laughs> <laughs> no but he, you won't lose backing him yeah he's so. good he's good back to group ones how many have you had uh, I think I'm on uh, 38 now uh, it's incredible yeah there's a couple in a couple in Hong Kong like the Hong Kong Derby which is one of the biggest group ones um, well it is the biggest group one in Hong Kong they don't recognize as a as a, a world uh, group one, so they don't go on your CV. They are on your CV, but I think with two of them, it's yeah, it's up around forty. So, what do you want? What's the legacy you want to leave behind uh, at forty five or fifty or whenever you you do hang them up in the in the future? What's the legacy that you've kind of have you written goals down that you want to achieve? Yeah, like the one thing I want people to remember me when I retire is a guy that just went out and, and gave it his all, whether he was on a, the favourite in, in a group one or if he was just riding in a midweek. Um, I pride myself on giving a horse every opportunity no matter where I am um, and, and just someone that's worked hard for what they've got and um, that, was, that was good to be around and, and people wanted to have on their horse. So um, that's what I want to be remembered as. And, and as for goals, um, I, I want to win 100 group ones. It's it's only the elite do it and only the best do it and there's a good chance it might not happen but i'm going to work my ass off and, and, and try and make it happen i think you'll get there how many people have done that before uh, i couldn't tell you there's 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 a few i know of you know but only the, once again it's like damien oliver cube home and um i don't i think Corey brown like he was a freak but he only rode up around the 50 i think so um yeah it's it's not not easy to do but i think james mcdonald's already at 74 so he's on fire at the moment oh he'll break all the records he's just a freak and um yeah he's he's uh riding against people like james and huey and and, and nash and, and kieran mcavoy they you know they, they bring the best out in you it's great are you all tight in the locker room yeah, we all, we all get along really well. Um, we've got our little sort of just where you sit and your, your corners and stuff like that. Um, you congregate there and, and it's it's really good in all the Sydney jockeys room because you've got where you sort of get all your gear ready and then you've got an eating area with some lounges and that. So if you don't have um, if you don't have a ride and that, everyone sort of gets in there and has a bit of a laugh and you got people like Reggie and uh, Regan Bayless. He's, he, he keeps everyone sort of entertained for the day stuff. <laughs> There's a few characters in there, which is good. We're going to go to the questions from the Aces. I'll just kick it off right there and then 
Reggie, Regan Bayless, we love him. He's an energy. He's, we haven't heard from him lately, actually, Reggie. He's been a bit quiet. What, what's he like in the locker room? You know, give right. everyone an insight on what you're seeing. What's he like? Exactly what you just said then. He's, he's either 100 mile an hour and up and about, or if he's having a bad day, <laughs> or he's rattling around a bit up there, um, he, he'll go and he'll be in the corner and you won't hear a word from him. You could go six races and not even know he's there. Um, but when he's... When he gets there and he's got a couple of good rides or something, he's up and about. He's he's full on. You gotta sometimes you gotta say, making you just go go back around your side and sit down and leave me alone because he's uh, he's very full on. But he's been a great addition to the Sydney Jockeys room. He's um, he's he's uh, he's really livening it up. Oh, he's great value. I can only imagine that because he does. I've been backing him. He hasn't had anything. He's uh, he's had, he's had some great days. He's, as you said, I don't think he's had a win on the weekend. But you know when he rode Private Eye, I think he had a Group One back to back last year. Um, I could only imagine him in the locker room after that. He would have been oh. absolutely humming. Well, he was going into the day, and I remember that day. He goes, ah, oh, yeah, you know, Epson day. It's a bit of a nothing day, isn't it? You know, he, he mustn't have thought he had much good rides. It's a bit of a nothing day, Epson day. And then he got to the end of the day. He goes, fuck me. He goes, Epson day's the best day of the year, isn't it? <laughs> because he, he won, he won the Group One double. But he, um, so yeah, he's, he's, and he was up and about. But that was a time when COVID was on. And everyone had their, like, was put into, like, three people in one room, three people there. And he got put into this room on his own and it was dead set. You couldn't even open the door. The room was that small. So um, <laughs> he was in there on his own. So he was locked away from everyone. So we didn't have to hear it all, like, <laughs> all that, which is good. <laughs> oh, that's great. We love him. And Miami Dolphins, man, who you said you're starting to get into. Now, mate, questions from everyone. Finn Walker, thank you for, for reaching out. Um, He's asked me to ask uh, ask Tommy for his personal opinion of his best ever ride. Uh, I'd have to say probably the offer in the Sydney Cup. Um, it was uh, at a tough time in my life. It was not long after my brother passed. I think it might have only been within a month after Nate passed. So, um, and I just I, I rode him with that much patience and um, just yeah just. You know, as, as I said earlier, just everything sort of fell into place. And when the race was, even the caller said, I, I think I got shuffled back to second last and I just let everything, everyone else go and, and, um, and sort of had the last crack at them. And it was probably, yeah, one of the best rides I've ever put in. Special, special ride. Will Tommy come to WA for the Group 1? Mickey G said he's coming to ride Devoted. Is that true or false? <laughs> oh, I'm not sure. He's spoken about a couple there, but I think I might go and ride Rothfire. Um, he's going to go and run in the Winter Bottom and the Gold Rush. So, so you might get over there? Yeah, so I'm pretty pretty keen to get over there. Um, I haven't been over there in ages, and I've got some family over there and great friends in the in the Granthams and Mickey G. Um, so, uh, yeah, definitely want to go over there and ruffle his feathers up. Oh, we love that. That was a notorious Rob, that question. Why is Regan Bayless the biggest pest known to mankind from sugar to source? <laughs> oh, it depends who you ask. I don't know. He's, um, oh, he's just got too much energy. Uh, I, I don't know what it is about him, but, you know, I, I think it, there's always one. If it's in a footy team or a, yeah. a jockey's room, there's, there's one and he's it. Oh, we love the pest. Now, biggest foghorn voice in the jockey's room, I'd imagine... Yeah, that's, that's him again. Still Regan? Yeah. I love how you said he goes real quiet. Like, <laughs> he's a real up and down. He's a yo-yo, you know? He's on cloud nine or he's on the rock bottom. <laughs> he'll, either, he'll, he'll be trying to call you 20 times or if he's, if he's, if he's in a, not the right space, you, you won't hear him for a month. He's, he's incredible. Well, he mustn't be in a good space because I've been hurt for him the last three weeks. But, uh, geez, I love that, man. Uh, if you had to be stuck in a lift with a fellow jock for 24 hours, who would it be? Uh, probably Kieran McAvoy because... Um, 
Yeah, I love hearing some of his stories and um, he's an in- interesting character and he's got four kids as well, so we've got a bit in common there. Outside of the giant Group 1 trainers, which stable turns their horses out best on race day? Um, I'd say the Hawks are very good at what they do. Um, when And Hawks is Snowden's, Wallers, there's not much between a lot of the good trainers, but when, when Hawksy sets one for a Group 1, you know, you know you're on the right horse. That's good to know, great knowledge. Favourite win of all time? Tough question, no doubt. Oh, I think my, your first ever win is always special, and it was for my father, um, so that was good. Um, Nathan's winning the Magic Millions on Unencumbered, that was pretty special. And I'd have to say my first Golden Slipper on Overreach. Beautiful. Nicest trainer you ride for uh, and who you'd love to have a beer with more? Terry Robinson. There He's you a go. Champion. Love that. Thoughts on the last 200 metres when Chautauqua won his last TJ Smith? Um, lost for words. Can't even put it into words. It was, uh, it was incredible. Probably one time where I thought I couldn't, couldn't win a race and he ended up winning it easy, so it was good. What is the best horse you've ridden? Um, I won on Winx, so that was pretty Did you cool. get to ride Winx? Yeah, yeah. I rode her twice. I won the file lap stakes on her and then got beat on her in the Vinery and then got taken off her oh. um, for the Oaks. So... Um, I think Joe Marrera ended up riding her in the Oaks. He got beat on her there. And then I think that's when the association started with Huey. If you hadn't have got beaten, would have you stayed on her? Oh, it's hard to say. Um, do you think about that? I, I do. I'm glad I didn't um, because I was probably, at, at, for what she went through, and, and Huey was a perfect man for the job. You know, he's, he's been riding for 10 years longer than me. He's got a lot more experience at that. And he handled that pressure and the, everything that come with Winks quite well. And he handled it well at the time, but what it did to Huey for the next 12 months after, um, and he's spoken about publicly, it, it was um, he struggled for a while after Winks, Winks, Winks left and, and retired. So, yeah, it would have been great to ride her. Would I have had the same record on her? I don't think so. Mm. I don't think anyone would have had the same record as Huey did on her. He just... He was Winks, him and Chris. Well said, mate, well said. What's the lightest weight you've had to you know, be for a certain horse? I rode 51 in the Melbourne Cup um, going probably back about five years ago. Um, that was tough. It took me a, a month. I was having, I had five fruits blended into a 600 mil shake and I had a 600 mil shake every day for a month and that was all. That's crazy, man. Nothing else. Jeez, what so. you, do you get like blood tests and that to just make sure that your levels and everything's all good? Oh, no, probably too scared to go get them done, but we, we do have to pass it. You call it a vet check, but uh, we, we have to get a full body check. Um, everything gets done, blood tests and everything once a year um, to, to, to That's good. renew your license. So as long as you're getting done every, you know, every yeah. 12 months, but with four kids, you're usually at the doctors anyway quite often. So I always get checked up and, and um, looked over quite often. Look, mate, this is where we get to the exciting part. I can't thank you enough for inviting us down here to St. Andrew's Beach Brewery. It's just, you know, it's spectacular. Uh, the beers are great. You know, I'm, I'm, as I said, I am sipping out of mate because I've had a thousand on the weekend. It's Derby Day, it was a big day. And then I the asked cup. for a small glass. Yeah. <laughs> to give <laughs> me a, a monster. One. Now, mate, you don't come on this show um, without going home empty-handed. Our friends here at Milwaukee Tools, um, they're, they're unbelievable, honestly. No pool starts, no engine maintenance, no mixing petrol and oil. Book a test drive now at milwaukeetools.com.au. Milwaukee, nothing but heavy duty. Now, mate, we love Milwaukee. They're, they're as I said, a huge sponsor of the show, and without them, we wouldn't be here. 
we always like to ask everyone that comes on a question, what is the handiest moment of your life? You know, we speak about Milwaukee and how they uh, can really help everyone. You've got your wife at the back <laughs> laughing at you. What's the handiest moment of Tommy Berry's <laughs> life so far? Well, my wife asked me to put up a, a rack so she could hang the um, ironing board on once when we were in an apartment. So I put up the rack, put the ironing board on there, and it was still sitting on the ground. So I didn't even put it up high enough on the wall to make a difference. So um, that's as good as I am on oh, the Oh, there tools. you go. Well, mate, you're gonna get you're gonna get looked after. Uh, this is only one of a few things. That, when I say a few, probably eight things. They're gonna be sent to your doorstep. You got the blower here, um, the M18 fuel driven to outperform blower. You got the whipper snipper. You got everything. You got everything coming your way. Um, and and again, huge shout out to Milwaukee Tools there. They're amazing for this show and um, we love them so much. Thanks, boys. Thanks for that little story. That's a cracker. <laughs> um, now, you, Rixies, I've sent you a few. You used to wear the black orbits, but I've got you I've got you another pair today. I've got you the um, – do you want crystal grey or would you like black? I like crystal grey, I reckon. Bang. So they're yours. That's the yeah. uh, brand-new Marlin dark crystal grey nice. uh, sunglasses. Look sharp this summer. Remember, get ready for summer now. Ricks are actually currently offering a $79 off for two pairs. So grab one for you and your mate, you and your partner, um, and you get $79 off right now. So let's party this summer with Ricks. They're comfortable, aren't they? Nice and light. They look good on you, mate. Perfect. Normally the uh, jockey's smaller head. You've got a nice head. Perfect for the <laughs> nice Ricksies. Um, mate, Ricks and You're Retirement. About the top head. That's good. <laughs> the bottom one. Ricks and Retirement, uh, it's a segment that we like to ask all our guests, you know, once life's done and professional life you can keep them on by the way because i like to um cut them up for this little segment beautiful ricks and retirement once you've 100 you're gonna have 150 group ones you're cashed up money's not an issue you've got the four kids and a lovely partner uh wife i should say where do you want to settle where's the one place you'd like to retire and why um just one location you'd like to settle with your, your ricksies on uh anywhere down the south coast from kaima down to um, Shoehaven Heads, you know, Gerald, Jerry, it's just beautiful all down the, the south coast. I know Shani, she wants to go up north coast, but uh, anywhere along the water. So you nice. have to uh, rock, paper, scissors with Shans at the back and just uh, get it your way. That's great. You would have seen, I mean, Sydney's beautiful. I miss it so much. So lucky to get up there for, you know, two years. Um, and then remember everyone out there, discount code. If you're not using your $79 off to, to look like Tommy with the brand new Marlins to get two pairs, just get your own pair. Use the discount code ACES at checkout. You'll get 20% off and free express shipping. Um, now, mate, Caps, our last sponsor. I love this one. It's the Caps Clanger. Uh, have you been watching much NFL? You said Reggie's got you into it. You're yeah. currently going for the Dolphins. They just got Bradley Chubb, I think it was, today in trade. So they're humming. They're ready to go. Yeah, no, I'm still getting into it. I, I'm not 100% with the rules, but I went, and watched, um, I went and watched a couple of games with Reggie at the pub. Um, going back a year ago, and it's it's a great game to watch. And it's great because you can go to the pub and it goes for a few hours. So yeah, uh, it's not like the NRL where it goes for eighty minutes. At least you can have a bit longer with the boys and have a few more drinks. Spot on. Um, and I thought I'd get you the Chiefs hat because you can't go wrong. They'll be right around at the end of the year. So if anyone goes, who are you going for? Well, Paddy <laughs> Mahomes goes all right. Yeah. Caps clanger. What's your biggest clanger you've ever had? Uh, you know, we talk about our caps clanger. It could be like you know. Everyone's got a clanger, whether it's growing up, whether it's at school, at work, truck work, at, at home. What's a clanger that comes to mind? A caps clanger. Oh, geez, it's a hard one. Um, there'd be plenty. Probably tipping my wife will be able to tell more. <laughs> but um, yeah, um, I don't know. That, that is a tough one. You got me there. I've got um, you. Too many. Yeah. I, oh, you know what? One day I was I was popping I was popping a pimple in the mirror. And the knob of my dick ended up inside of the um, 
inside of the drawer and I leant forward and smacked it and split my knot from one end to the other. So that wasn't really nice. But, uh, you probably weren't expecting that one. There you go. That is the best cast clanger I've ever heard. That is an absolute man. Oh, that is brilliant. Mate, thank you so much for your time. Oh, I really appreciate it. Um, this will be a cracker. First jockey, uh, Regan, we've got the king on, mate, because you couldn't make time for me when you were down here. Only staring. Mate, all the best. Um, keep doing what you're doing. You'll be 100 group ones, no doubt. And, uh, and thanks for uh, your time, mate, and appreciate it. I no, appreciate it. Cheers, Tommy. Done, thanks, brother. Thanks for listening to another episode of Tommy Talks, where you literally can't thank you enough for all your support. Speaking of support, our great mates, Milwaukee Tools. Without yours, we wouldn't be here. Milwaukee Outdoor Power Equipment gives you the power to clear, cut, and maintain the outdoors without the petrol headaches. No pull starts, no engine maintenance, no mixing petrol and oil. Book a test drive now at milwaukeetools.com.au. Milwaukee, nothing but heavy duty. All right, catch you on the next one.